Welcome to the School of Humanity podcast. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Not only does God long for you, but you are like Him. What does this mean for you? How does it affect your view of God? How does it affect your view of yourself? How does that affect everything? This, this is, is the School, School of Humanity. Humanity. Welcome to the School of Humanity podcast. This is Rachel Bullman. And this is Jason Bullman. And this is episode 48, right? 48, yes. Yeah. Um, so last episode, we started um, a three-part series on vocations. And so the last episode was about the vocation to marriage. And this episode, we really wanted to dive into our vocation to be parents. So um, now not to get this all confused, because I think... Uh, you know, when you really go to like a vocations weekend or something like that within the church, vocations, um, it's really about like parenting, not parenting, but marriage or priesthood or religious life. And so we're not, we're not saying the, that this is a vocation aside from that, but we do believe that mar- parenting is a vocation within marriage for us. Right. And so, um, and make it a point to realize that each vocation renews your initial vocation. Like if our initial vocation was a call to holiness, then when we got married, it renewed and further um, made extraordinary and then strengthened that initial call and continued to give us a more particular way of living out that call. Right. And so through our marriage, then we also became parents. So we were married in 2008 and we welcomed our first child in 2011, and then our second child in 2012, <laughs> and then in 2014, we had our third, and our fourth child was born in 2017, right? That's right. So, yeah, that's really good. I don't really remember a lot of stuff, so... That was well done. I don't even know how old I am, half the time, so I'm, I'm always going to be 21. But anyway... All of that being said, why do we keep bringing up the personalistic norm? Because we brought that up last time, and I said that really fast, so let me say it slower. Personalistic norm. So personalistic norm. Um, Last time we kind of gave a definition of that, and really the definition of the personalistic norm is that each person must be treated with love because of their personhood. Because of the fact that they are a person. Um, I always like to tell Jason that I think all of the great superheroes are personalists. Because they try to save like the world or the group of, of whatever people they're trying to save. But they're always there's always some bump in the road because there's always one person that they feel like they can't save. Um, but in the end, they end up saving everyone. And it's, it's all because the personalists ignore them. Right. I mean, the, it's illustrated also in the story of the Good Shepherd where the good shepherd will leave the 99 to save the one. Mm-hmm. You know? That's in a song. Is it? Yeah. yeah. That song, Reckless Love. Oh, yeah, that is a good song. Yeah. Good yeah, song, yeah. yeah. Um, so really, and the purpose of the personalistic norm is to maintain the dignity of the person. So anytime that I use Jason, not only do I harm his dignity and his ability to know who he is, but I also harm yeah, my know. own ability to know who I am. You know, a lot of people will think that um, <clears throat> if you're using someone, you're really just harming them. 
But in reality, you're, you're harming yourself. You know, you're doing both. Because sin doesn't occur in a bubble. You know, whenever you sin, you're not just by yourself and no one else feels that. Everyone that loves you, everyone really that knows you, is affected by it in some way. Um, and so the personalistic norm really allows us to maintain their dignity. And so in order for us to maintain the dignity of the human person within marriage, the conjugal act must be open to life. If it's not open to life, what happens? Why is that necessary? Well, you know, whenever, so whenever a man and woman um, enter into the conjugal act, there is, there has to be two aspects of it. You know, the personal aspect, which is what the church would call the unitive aspect, um, which is that it fosters communion or unity between the two spouses. Right. You know, um, but there's also, you know, the natural and not merely the biological, but the natural aspect of the act. I mean, we are human beings, you know, um, and we naturally share in God's creative act, and He and He has willed it to be that way, which, uh, is, which is unbelievable. unbelievable. Like I feel like we could yeah. end the the whole thing here because it's pretty amazing. Like just to meditate on the fact that God would love us so much, not only to become incarnate, to dwell among us, to give himself over to us in the Eucharist, but to also allow us the ability to join him in creation. Yeah, we're not spectators. Yeah, right? we are not spectators. We get to actually give life, you know, and that's not like a figurative life like you get to, which is beautiful, which is to be able to give life to other people through your ministry or just by their friendship or just by your presence in a room. But we actually have the innate ability to be able to give life. And in right. a particular way for women, sorry guys, I'm just kidding. But in a particular way for women, um, I was reading something the other day. Um, there's a book that I'm currently reading uh, by Adrienne Von Spire. And one of the things that she makes a point there to talk about is the fact that for women, it is so, it's such a part of who they are that when the woman is being knit together in the womb, that that's one of the first parts of her that is created is her womb. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I need to double fact check that, but it was beautiful and blew my mind. So anyway, the other really awesome thing, and this is also a mind-blowing fact, is that the term matrimony comes from the Latin words mater, monium. And mater means mother, and monium means to make right. or to create. So matrimonium or matrimony means to make a mother or to create motherhood, um, which is mind-blowing. Right. I mean, um, it, it speaks to the fact that intrinsic link between uh, marriage and parenthood. Right. Right. They, and that is an openness. You know, I think it's very important to say that. That is an openness to life. It is not a requirement. It does not take right, away right. from your marriage, from the character of that, if, if something is, is, is sadly happens that doesn't allow you to be able to have children. Right, because if you went to the extreme of saying like the sexual act is merely for the sake of making new children, right. and you try, try to take the unitive aspect away, you know, saying and almost like pleasure is a bad thing, then mm -hmm. you're actually still 
you would still fall into using one another for the sake of creating life, which is... Thank you, you, Manichaeism. Yeah, you you can't do that, right? So, I mean, that's like more of a puritanical approach to, to, to marriage, as if pleasure is a bad thing. But, I mean, of course it's not when you view that God made us very good um, in his image and likeness you know all that we're rational beings we share and we have freedom we have intellect and will and you know we get to choose love we get to enter into this beautiful self-gift that is the spousal relationship and we have bodies right and bodies are not a bad thing so pleasure cannot be seen as something bad I think that because you know the our society is so hypersexual, and um, just for a long time we've sort of you know treated sex as if it's something dirty, you know, rather than something holy and willed right. by God from the very beginning. It's hard for us to imagine, you know, that the Lord could be invited into your bedroom with you, you know, <coughs> and that it would be something. Um, beautiful when yeah. man and woman come together and so when when spouses come together the first I would say the first aspect or maybe the premier aspect of the conjugal act has to be the unitive because if you skip that and say well it's just procreative then you're still using each other right you, you see what I'm saying so that's to, to and I say all that to say that if you're um, unable to have children as a spousal couple that does not diminish your vocation or somehow um, take away an aspect of of your marriage. Um, I would say that procreation is the the natural fruit of the unitive aspect of of, um, marriage. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. I I wanted to back up a little bit because you were talking about the puritanical view of... of, uh, the conjugal act and, and also mentioned just how hypersexual our, our society is. And I think it's really important to mention this just recently, like I think in the last couple of weeks, um, there was a guy who wrote a book when I was like 16, uh, which was just yesterday. Uh, but the book is called I kissed dating goodbye. Mm-hmm. And the author was Joshua Harris. He was only like 19, I think maybe when he wrote it and it became like a huge bestseller. Well, a couple of weeks ago, he put out a press release saying that he wasn't going to continue printing the book anymore. Um, (coughs) And he apologized for the effects that it had on the people that read it because some people were saying that it kind of harmed their view of dating. Um, Because the whole course of the book was that they shouldn't date, that instead you lived with this this goal of marriage without dating. and he says now he has more of a mature, or his view of it has changed in that he thinks that dating is valuable. Um, so all of that being said, that like, there, the, the, the way of the church and the way of, of us is that all things are good. All things are created by God. And so the, the core of all things is good. And so whether or not we approach them with that same respect, that's where things can get deterred. So like the person that's addicted to pornography, um, the person that that 
is addicted to masturbation. You know, these are all things that have been, they desire communion with another person. And so that thing has become perversed through the way that they're trying to pursue it. Right. And so there's a, there's a few beautiful books to read about um, when it comes to the, the beautiful aspects that are within um, the conjugal act and within your dignity as a human person. Uh, We've already mentioned love and responsibility as one. There's another book um, by Dietrich von Hildebrand that's called the in defense of purity which is really, really beautiful. And there's a couple of people out there that have really taken on um, the porn effect. And actually, there's a book called The Porn Effect by Matt Frad. And um, just the fact that you are a person and you deserve to treat yourself with dignity mm-hmm. and you deserve to be treated with dignity and to treat other people with dignity. And so, um, anyway. Well, let's talk about the fact that, I mean, what happens when you say when you cut off openness to life you know right so when a man and woman decide that you know they are not going to be open to life anymore (coughs) then they isolate themselves into the unitive aspect only but Pleasure then becomes the end. Pleasure becomes their principle. Right. Pleasure becomes their principle. And the problem with that is that even though even though pleasure is a gift, when it is used in that way and when it is not free, as the Lord would deem it to be free, then many times it's self-seeking. Right. You know, you're not really seeking the other, um, but you're really seeking your own pleasure, um, which is detrimental if that's if that's the underlying core of your mode of love. So all of that being said, the church doesn't support contraception. And that is actually, we really recommend reading, um, contraception. Why not? Contraception. Why not? It's a fantastic, uh, you could probably just look up the transcript for contraception. Why not? Um, but also, you know, when you really want to get into sexual ethics stuff, um, what is the name of that document? Um, I'm not sure. What you think I would have had that? I'll think about that and hopefully come back to that. Um, but there is a beautiful document. What? Humana Vitae? Nope. No. Humana Vitae is really good too. Um, but there was another one that was more recent where they talked about uh, the church's stance behind um, oh, yeah. artificial insemination, um, behind uh, all of that stuff. So very, very good document. If I can ever think of the name, um, we'll have to but get back to you on that. Let's get back to you. Um, and but really, we really wanted to talk about the fact that we also struggled a little bit with contraception. So um, right, right. we never gave in to to using any kind of contraception. But after Gemma, after our third child, we just I particularly hit just a wall. You know, um, I had had my second C section. And on top of that, the pregnancy was just really difficult. I, apparently, my body doesn't like this whole baby thing. Just kidding. But I was, I always have kind of a trying time. And I have, uh, I was was pretty depressed, I think, towards the end. Yeah, you were. Um, And so after I had her, um, I remember coming home and we were acclimating to life and I just told Jason like 
I think that's it. Like, I don't think I can have another child. Um, and so I went everywhere, was reading all kinds of things, Googling, you know, reasons why, you know, Catholics could use contraception. And I could, I found, of course, varying sides of the, of the argument. Um, and so when we would talk about it, you could tell that it really wasn't a place of selflessness. Like it really wasn't like a, a grave matter. It was because it was inconvenient for me and because I felt like, um, it was going to be an inconvenient thing for right. me. I think you had fallen into fear, which is, <coughs> I think, the underlying... I mean, that's one of the main tact tactics the enemy uses is right. to incite fear in us. But, you, but know, you know, thankfully I was going to spiritual direction on a regular basis. And so I remember going into spiritual direction and I was talking... I And we had talked about this, um, but we started talking about some other things and then... I was really frustrated about something and I remember my spiritual director looking at me and he's like, do you trust God? And I remember saying like very flippantly, yeah, like of course I trust God. And it was very much like, no, like there's something going on where you, like there's a large area in your life where you are not trusting God. And because you don't trust God with that, it's infecting everything else and you don't trust him with anything. Um, and so it was extremely sad for me. And so I remember coming home to him and I was just like, all of this talk that we've been having about possibly going on contraception, like I'm done. We're not going to do that because I, I clearly know that I don't trust God enough to trust him with our, with our bodies and trust him with our marriage, with our family. So, um, and I was relieved. <laughs> thank goodness. Um, so then for us, really, we have realized that Parenting is really what Ratzinger has called it, which is a, a school, right? Yeah. So you want me to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I forget what, what book it is, but um, Pope Benedict XVI talks about the natural development of like the different aspects of love that we learn from each of the persons right. in the Trinity as we grow as we grow up basically um which is really beautiful to see how even like how we come into this world and then develop into our vocation we learn the different types of love if you will that are the father the son and the holy spirit and given that we are we our posture before god like our premier way of knowing to love is is in is the way that jesus did and being that he's the son his his mode of love is entrusting himself to the father right so like he is the premier one who trusts himself in the father <coughs> like that's the type of love that he has or or brings to the trinity and that's what we, that's what our premier posture before our Father um, is is to entrust ourselves to Him. So that's the first kind of love that we learn, and we learn that as children with our parents. That's that's why our parents are like the Father to us, and we we learn to entrust ourselves to our parents, and and then our parents hopefully show us that they are an image of of our Father in heaven, right? So that's the first love. Then when you get married, um, or you become a priest, whatever, you learn the spousal love. Which is the Holy Spirit, and that's the you know, love yeah, too. that's a, a love that is with the other. So you learn how to be with the other, um, and and as spouses, 
And then your love for one another, just like the Father and Son, brings forth fruit. Um, and so you have children, and then you become parents. And so that's when you sort of get into the school of the love of the Father, whose premier posture to the Son is to pour himself out for the Son. Right. So, Do you so, feel like you pour yourself out for the kids oh, sometimes? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> we do. We do. Um, but it was really beautiful the other night, uh, just as a, a way to drive this home before we end this podcast. The other night, I was putting the kids to bed, and um, Jason and I both had noticed that, because um, Jason works a lot, and, and so the kids, one of our children in particular, had decided that daddy's daddy's yes or daddy's no wasn't enough. Like, you need, he needed mine. So, like, he would ask Jason for something. I think one of the, that night was something like, he wanted to watch something on TV. Maybe it was late, and I think maybe he wanted to watch a movie. Yeah, and you said no. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he came over to me and asked me, and I said, um, you said, I just told you no. He says, I know I'm asking mommy. <laughs> and so uh, and so I said, you know, whatever your dad said is is the answer. And so when they were going to bed that night, I walked in there and I said, um, who's in charge of mommy? And um, one of our sons was like, your dad or something like that. I was like, no, my dad doesn't live here. So who's in charge of mommy? And he's like, daddy. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's right. I said, mommy entrusts herself to daddy. I trust daddy. And I said, and who takes care of daddy? And they both kind of looked at each other and they're like, God. I was like, yes. I said, mommy only entrusts herself to daddy because mommy trusts that daddy is entrusting himself to God. And mommy also entrusts herself to God. But because of our marriage, I entrust myself to your father. I said, so whatever he says, mommy is going to trust and you also need to trust. And when daddy's not able to be here or answer you, mommy will tell you yes or no. But if daddy is here, you don't get to go between the two of us because we are actually one. <laughs> um, so that was a pretty interesting thing for them. But it was really, really beautiful for them to kind of piece that together and to know that that we're not acting as our own entities, that we are, we are one. Absolutely. So we hope that this was helpful. Yeah. And then... The third part of this podcast is coming, and it will be on the permanent diaconate, which is only 50 years young. That's right. Uh, and we are not far along in the process, but we're still going to What are we? Two, attempt three, to chat about it. Uh, we're, three years old. Yeah, we're three years. Okay. Two and a half years old. So, okay. yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for being with us, and we love you so much, and are praying for you. God bless. God bless. God bless.